It, it always blows my mind that we're in this truly giant world. And frankly, like everybody knows about stuff now. And somehow writers' rooms in Los Angeles might as well be the moon. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Ben. Hey, Paul. Oof, you guys are in the news a little bit right now. It's true. We had some sad news this week. You know, as almost all companies around the world are experiencing, we had a bit of a dip in some of our business, specifically the talent side, because we help folks hire developers, even small and medium businesses, and not a lot of people are hiring right now. So we did have to furlough about 15% of our staff, and it was a sad day. It's been a pretty emotional week at Stack. But, you know, the, the, the big goal, as Prashanth said in his blog post, is to realign the business around the areas that are still growing. So we're lucky that we have three lines of business Talent is suffering, but ads and teams are still growing. And so the, the hope is if we keep growing those, you know, within six months to a year, we can just bring these people right back and they're furloughed, not laid off. So they get to keep their benefits and they can either have unemployment, which right now is, is pretty generous or go work somewhere else. That's not a direct competitor. So yeah, rough news. You know, it's, we're seeing it all around the, the tech industry and, and every industry, but we're hopeful that we have these two other lines of business that so far we see continued progress in and that that'll let us bring those those great people back look it just sucks i'm really glad you guys aren't doing the like you know like it's time to streamline our operations as to like just like it's just a bad tough situation and i think being open and transparent about it and you know when the rally comes people come back yeah that's that's a good idea yeah i mean sarah i'd like to hear your thoughts but i've never been in a company that was more sort of like transparent about it and gave a lot of warning and gave a lot of guidance. And like when it came, you know, obviously people weren't prepared on the individual level of who it's going to be, but I feel like people were prepared and understood the rationale and understood everything the company had tried to do to prevent it. Yeah, I, that's that's what I thought was really, there's nothing nice about this, right? There's nothing that was that was nice about the process, but I do feel like one thing I appreciate is that we as a company continued to communicate the entire time. It's definitely something yeah. we've all been watching this happen. We've all been watching it in the field and at other companies. So people had questions and just being open and honest about, you know, what we're facing and what the world is facing right now, I think was good. But, you know, it's definitely hard for folks affected. Look, I mean, it is it is what it is. One of the best formulations I've ever gotten, an executive was giving me some advice and was like, just, just always replace the Replace it with families. You're affecting families when you make decisions about your business. And so if you've right. communicated clearly, like, I mean, it just, who knows? Like, I'm, you know, you can't rate yourself. It's up to the people who are affected as to how things right. are going. But anyway, I'm glad we're talking about it. It would be, it'd be weird to do this podcast, especially as a kind of like interloper into stack world without news like that yeah. being part of it. So, yeah, I mean, I think like you said, Paul, family, like if you think about your family budget in this time and you just had to say, look, we have to make hard choices. And that's kind of like the why I like the way Andrew Cuomo talks, where he's like, these are our options. These are our realities. There's no good choices. So I'm going to make this one based on, you know, what my experts are telling me. And in this case, you know, we had done a lot of things already to try to cut costs, but also, you know, like our CEO took a pay cut and a pay deferral. You know, we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that, yeah, people are not as impacted to the degree that we can. You know, and I guess there, I, I don't know, we don't want to transition here into a joke, but I would contrast it with the worst layoff that I heard about. I don't know if you guys heard about this one. I think it was in media, so which is why I heard about it, digital media from my old life. People were asked to join a call. It was like a Zoom. It came on. 
Oh no, it was, it was a, a scooter pre- scooter company. Oh, the scooter company, right? The pre-recorded yeah. voice that was not somebody they knew. It was just like a robot HR voice that was like, "Sorry, you're all fired." And then hung up, and then all of a sudden their email and slacks were deactivated. And everyone's wow. just like, what is, what the, what, what? I <laughs> so. mean, I can share a story here, which is that September 13th, 2001, mm. Ooh, sitting, in, sitting in a conference room in Savion, Israel, at the startup that I was working at, desperate to figure out what was going on at home. You know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like been over there for a couple of weeks working and and then being laid off. <laughs> like, it, yeah. You recover. You recover. Yeah. It takes a while and it's really hard and, and families are affected, but you recover. So it's yeah. day at a time. We'll, we'll got to get through. The, we'll get through the pandemic and then we'll figure yeah. out the economy. Speaking of which, one thing I really appreciated seeing around the network is uh, different ways that folks have found to help others. One thing that I've been advocating for recently is a project that some friends and mentor of mine have been working on called the 1K Project. It's at 1kproject.org. It's all about finding families, you know, because there's a lot of people in tech, there are a lot of people in tech unaffected. I think our field is probably, especially developers, probably one of the least affected fields. And so figuring out ways to help. And so this is a way to sponsor a family here in the U.S. for a few months. You can do it with some friends. You can do it alone. And it gets $1,000 to a month to a family in need. So I really love seeing stuff wow. like this come up because it's great seeing folks in the industry stepping up. That's yeah, sweet. that sounds almost like something cool that like a federal government could or should do. Uh, great. No, no, no. <laughs> just, you know, don't, don't forget 80% of our listeners are put, they just threw their copy of the fountainhead <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> um, the last thing I would say, right, is if you've still got your job and there are people furloughed, like stay in touch. You really feel at a kind of fundamental level pushed out. You feel mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, like what the real situation is you've been rejected and sent away. And so like Mm. one of my rules in life is if somebody gets laid off near me and and I'm not in the person doing the laying off, I want to get them out for lunch as soon as possible and kind of just be like, you are in this social environment. You have not been forgotten. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah. Like, because it's just, and it's awkward. It is absolutely a hundred percent awkward, but it is, it reminds them that this is a real relationship that you are committed to it and that they are welcome in this world. Like there's a, there's a situation, but you will help them resolve it and you really respect them and their work. And like, if the more you can send that signal. Yeah. And just like that, they're not a pariah that there's no stigma. You know, it's just like, it wasn't you. Yeah. Because it just feels that way. And there's no, there's, that is one of the hardest, like that's, that's like day one. It takes a minute. And when you coach people through this stuff, like, I mean, the people who are facing challenges coming out of stack right now on furloughed, right. I'm not like from a macro view, they might, they're going to have a hard month, right? Like, but they're going to be okay. But that doesn't mean that they don't feel kind of just kicked in the gut right now. So right. yeah, go. Yeah. I mean, you said, you know, developers are not affected. And I think that is true. But even, you know, now we see across Silicon Valley, some pretty, some pretty big names doing some pretty big layoffs, mm. you know, from the Airbnbs and Bs to the lifts of the world. So yeah, any, anybody who works at a tech company, you know, does kind of have that advantage of, oh, I could do this from home. On the other hand, if your tech company is primarily based in sort of interactions with the real world, you know, you're still having some pretty serious economic disruptions. So I think one of yeah, Paul, what you brought to mind was like, I'm starting to see this divide in the discussion on social media and in op-eds of like, 
the people who are saying it's time to go back to work are either politicians who like want their economies back and aren't actually frontline people or, you know, journalists and tech workers and folks who can work remote. And so therefore, you know, like they, it's easy for them to say, right. Because they don't actually have to go back to work to be working. And that the people who are saying, wait a minute, are the ones who are going to be on the front lines. But I think this is so big now that it's pretty much going to ripple through everything. Like, I don't think any, it can, it can be all of us. I mean, I'm right now, Postlight, my firm, like we didn't have any travel and hospitality clients. We didn't have any clients that, you know, put on conferences for a living, like none of that. Right. And so we were very, very, and the the word is lucky. We were paranoid, but also extremely lucky. Right. Luck can run out. You just, and and it's real. Like you're like, oh, look at me. I figured it all out. No, (laughs) no. This could come at any moment. We're all vulnerable. The whole freaking economy is super vulnerable. My wife is spending her days training people on Airtable so we can get food to people in Mm. our neighborhood using mutual aid, right? Like that's, and so like I'm seeing that. And this is people who are four blocks away who literally need a bag of rice right now, right? So that that's, and I'm co-running my software company with my headphones on. It just sort of like, that's a very strange distribution to have within two blocks. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Stack Overflow for Teams, the best way to organize and share knowledge across your company. It's used by small startups and some of the biggest companies in the world today. It's free on the basic tier until June 30th with no credit card required. Head on over to stackoverflow.com teams and check it out. So speaking of a company that is doing well, but is having some problems due to that, Zoom obviously has exploded in usage during this, yeah. but it had a bunch of security issues. And then I see some news this morning, Zoom acquires Keybase so that they can use enterprise grade end-to-end encryption. Keybase, help me For out here. For those of you that is, don't know. Yeah. What is Keybase? Yeah. Okay. So Keybase. Don't, no, one, no one should try to explain Keybase. <laughs> no, no, no. It's really <laughs> it's easy just, to understand. <laughs> it's a social network that sends you emails about people you don't know sending you information you don't need. Got it. It's also, a, it can be a little icon in the menu bar of your Mac. And, you and eventually, right. And eventually you're like, I don't want that there anymore. And you figure <laughs> out how to go into login items and turn yeah. it off. And then it was, it was sending, it was sending you nonsense nickels for a while, which they call a lumens or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've, they've tried a number of things. And then on, when you go to keybase.io, one of the slogans they have is a place for work or not, which I think is confusing. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. It could be anything. We use public key cryptography to ensure your messages stay private. Even we can't read your chats, a place that's safe for family and friends. So they, they did start from this PGP key like security. That was what they started with. They tried a bunch of other social networks and cryptocurrencies and other things in there, but their specialty is security and Zoom desperately needs that. So I guess this makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Just drop a secure social network and and (laughs) blockchain thing into the middle of a video chat tool that is just basically a huge bandwidth machine. (laughs) The strategy folks at Zoom were just kind of like, okay, let's buy something with like a lot of security in it. Like, so people will forget about the Zoom bombing thing. Like just buy things that like, like I understand they're doing, but isn't it text-based? Don't they do text-based encryption for conversations? I mean, you got to wonder if somebody, you know, if it was literally like, we have to do this. <laughs> and somebody else was like, you know, what's affordable. Right <laughs> this place is on <laughs> sale. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't think the general public knows that PGP stands for eh, pretty good privacy. Pretty good. 
Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. You know, also, we I would have just downloaded SSH, but it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> Bye. Cool. I, I love that slogan too. Like, like nothing is more of a, a startup slogan than a place for work or not. Shrug, shrug emoji. Like, yeah. Shrug emoji. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations, maybe. Yeah, yeah congratulations. To everyone. I guess I'm going to get lumens when I uh, use a virtual background. Speaking of nonsense, Nichols, yes. do you guys know about the, the happening? No, explain the how. Uh, just please. So excited. Sorry, for just this. take over. <laughs> So excited for this. <laughs> so in Bitcoin world, the happening is something that happens every two years or every few years. Sorry. It, in simple terms, it is, you know, we all know that what the blockchain does and how running this algorithm gets you some Bitcoin in the world. And what happens is after a little while, it's a happening will happen to kill the rate of inflation, right? Because after a little while, it gets a little easier to run that algorithm. And so what they have to do in the market is just make it a little more difficult. So there's one mm-hmm. coming up in, you know, they say over the next couple of weeks, which, you know, not trying to push anything, but often drives the price of Bitcoin. (laughs) So folks are predicting Bitcoin going up and it's fun to watch the price. I I have it on my phone. Yeah, it's been interesting because people always say like, well, you know, in these crazy times when, you know, regular things are falling apart, people are going to flee to Bitcoin and gold, but that hasn't exactly happened yet. But the happening, maybe maybe that will be the catalyst that kicks it off. Yeah. Uh, the happening yeah. plus a pandemic. Uh, let's. I just wish everybody the best. Yeah, <laughs> That's, I feel like such a like a, like, like a, just a, a grandma. Yeah. With the, oh, good, <laughs> good for them. <laughs> They're going to have their. Oh, that's nice. You have currency. Yeah, you told those central banks. That's good. Here's a funny one. I'm seeing this news on GitHub and Hacker News. Facebook apparently is crashing every iOS app right now with their SDK. Have you guys seen this this morning? No. Yeah, that's I haven't a good seen one. That. That's, that's yeah, a good you, one. Yeah, you just when you use that Facebook SDK in your giant app, and let's say you're like Pinterest, yeah, TikTok, complete, complete destruction. Yep, it just doesn't work. Spotify, TikTok, and Pinterest are all down because they use the Facebook iOS SDK. Wow, that is something. Listen, it's a massive web of interdependencies, and uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, they don't they don't pay for that SDK, right? Like, I bet it's even. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just it's life. It's life. This is one to me where I'm like, yeah, of course. Eventually, there was some giant showstopper bug in the in the Facebook SDK that took down. Right. A bu- it's like when you know Apple is like, oh, hey, you need to install this patch right now yeah. and improve security. <laughs> you know, just it's just like, of course, it blew up. Yeah. I mean, I love the bash Facebook, love it, but it is this happens right. to every giant software. Firm. Not right. I will say Google. Google seems to not mess stuff up. Like this, they seem to get their infrastructure pretty good. Yeah. Like this. it happens every once in a while, but yeah, like when an AWS cluster goes down and suddenly sixteen different services don't work, you're reminded that like Facebook, Google, Apple are utilities on top of which like most yeah. of the tech ecosystem is built. Well, you see what Google's like Gmail goes down, but you never get that like right. oh Android services just don't work anymore because I think right. this they're already getting hit forty five trillion times a minute. Right, Paul, you have any news you want to bring us? You know what's been interesting is, I don't know if you pronounce it Deno or Dino, Mm. but there is this Node.js alternative, 
which is created by the same person who created Node, Ryan Dahl. And it's a big update. It's sort of an attempt to fix all the things. Node was always pretty good, but also kind of a hack on top of the version of JavaScript built into the browser, right? right. And so things have emerged like how it does package management and, and the way it deals with security that people wanted to change. And so that's what this project is about. And a big part of it is like written in Rust and, and like it's just a very... It's a rethink of of Node, and it's just it just hit 1.0, right. and so um, what is what does it do differently? The sort of killer feature for modern pipelines is that so it's secure and it, it doesn't you you really have to like if you wanted to do things to your computer instead of just run you you have to tell it explicitly. So there's that. Right? Oh, okay, so you like clearly thing. need to give permissions. Yes, but the killer thing is that it has. TypeScript built in as a very, very robust support. People love TypeScript. People love that TypeScript. And so it has a very robust support for TypeScript without an exposed compilation step. Like in the node land, you have to have something compiling the TypeScript. And there have been lots of hacks to kind of get you. Like, look, I mean, the reality is when you're doing JavaScript programming, you can abstract a lot away. Like, I just did a create React app app the other day. And it's great. You type a few commands, you have access to all these components. If I wanted to write TypeScript, it would work fine. I can get all these languages. But it means that the JavaScript underneath is going through about 7 million transformations before it actually gets turned into something that the browser loads. So that you know, so that's things like Webpack and, and sort of all those conversion layers that we've started to take for granted as how you do modern JavaScript. You're, you're compiling it. And so this sort of lifts all that up and is like, now we're going to handle that. This will be something that can deal with a lot of that stuff for you. And you don't have an ad hoc tool chain. You'll just be in this world getting your work done. That's very attractive in the same way that TypeScript is to large groups of engineers working together with web technologies. They don't have a ad hoc, even if it's sort of well understood tool chain, right. they have one tool chain in this world. So people are keeping a close eye on it. And, and it's really kind of the website is deno.land. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's one of those things where I, I'm, I'm not bleeding edge in any way anymore. But if you tell me that a year from now, I'm probably downloading that instead of node and using its package management approach instead of NPM or yarn. I wouldn't be surprised, like you know. Sarah, should we do a should we do a brief scene from Billions here to to get our our, our favorite Node.js reference in? Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> Paul. I just want to follow up with you what you said by saying that I am bleeding edge, but only in the way that I say I've heard of that thing. Right, that sounds <laughs> like something too. I know about. <laughs> yeah, so Ben, thanks for queuing so me up. So I will be playing from the the Showtime show Billions. I will be playing Axe Caps Dollar Bill Kelly, and Sarah will be playing. Mace Caps McPhee, McPhee. It's McPhee, yeah. McPhee, yeah. And I say, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know a lot about computers. You don't know about computers, do you? Sarah, you know, do you, McPhee? is the, that's the Paul Giamatti Yeah, that's the Paul Giamatti. And then he says, suck my Node.js bill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching, I'm watching the show. I'm watching the show. And and then someone says, okay, I need help with this. Probably Paul. Somebody called their cousin. (laughs) I think so, because this is what they said. And and I think this is nonsense. And my first initial reaction was like, that's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. Someone said, oh, just because I can't participate in your something like, 
arguments in the lunchroom about mean stack versus full stack. And mean, you don't want to debate full stack versus mean stack over bagels in the kitchen. That doesn't mean we can't do math, but that that doesn't make any sense. Like full stack isn't (laughs) a stack. I mean, like it's not a specific stack that you go with as a design decision. Also like mean stack too. Like (laughs) granted, I know some people care about very deeply, but you're looking at like 12 developers who stand up and are like, oh, absolutely. Right. Mongo Express, Angular, and Node. Like, no, no. Yeah, Caps exactly. Miss Caps was asserting his programming chops by alluding to an open source JavaScript runtime environment. Yeah, yeah and also oh, these boy. are supposedly quants. Like, if you're a quant, you're probably not using... No, that. you're very excited about like, you know, maybe we can move some of our numerical computing over to either OCaml or Julia. Those are... Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> Oh, well. Hey, you know, this, I always think back, there is a point, it's like 97, I'm watching TV, and there was some bad TV show, I can't remember which one, but it was a crime drama, and it was like, they arrested, it was like, hey, he's on the internet, and someone just goes, isn't that just for pedophiles? And I was like, oh, no, no. Like, like I seriously think that writers, you know how we see those interfaces in movies that are just like five big buttons and they all, they look like they're from the nineties or my, yeah. yeah, Or minority report or whatever. I actually think that those are real computers and those are the ones that the writers use in writer's rooms. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, Oh, uh, enter the password. And you know, it just (laughs) says like password and they they just, you're just supposed to hit the keyboard for two minutes and then you're logged in, you know? And they're like, Oh, well this is, this is how computers works. That's what I'm convinced of. There's a special computer operating system just for writers in Hollywood that none of us get to use. Paul, I just want to let you know Microsoft is offering $100,000 bounties to anyone who will hack its custom Linux OS. So it seems like something you could do. Maybe give the money to charity. Oh, that's that's exciting. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. That's your that's your jam right I can there. Do that in bash scripts. All right. So I'm going to read a lifeboat and then we'll say our goodbyes. Absolutely. Okay, great. So, awarded two days ago to James Kanzi, C++. What is the difference between O-stream and O-stringstream? Okay. Thanks, James. Deep one. Nice work. Yeah, he wrote quite an essay here. And there's even a chart. So, very nice. We'll put it in the show notes. All right, I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter, at Ben Popper. I'm Sarah J. Chips. I'm a director of community here at Stack Overflow, and you can find me on Twitter at Sarah J. Chips. I'm Paul Ford, a friend of Stack Overflow, co-founder of a, a product development firm called Postlight. You can find me on Twitter at Ftrain. And hang in there, everybody. If we can be helpful, let us know. Hang in yeah. there.